Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Of course, we all know what tomorrow is. Not only is it the 1st of March, but it's the Federal Budget Sequester Implementation Day. Uh, The sequester, which was supposed to be such a poison pill to both sides that it would motivate Democrats and Republicans to come up with a budget compromise, now is being embraced by a growing number of politicians. It may go into effect tomorrow. Some $1.1 trillion in federal spending cuts, uh, $85 billion would be cut from the current year's budget. The other cuts would come over the next eight years. And uh, we're going to talk about possible effects on Utah's budget and economy on the program today. Our guests will include State uh, Senator Lyle Hilliard, Republican of Logan. He's the Senate Budget Chairman. We'll also be talking with Kevin Sullivan, retired Air Force Major General. We'll be talking to him about possible across-the-board cuts at Hill Air Force Base. Some estimates uh, say that uh, those possibly furloughed would lose seven to $8,000 per year, several million dollars out of the economy. State officials are warning that uh, a budget sequester might uh, harm, and it already is harming, uh, Utah's economic recovery. And we'll be talking about economic effects later in the program with William Shugart, who is J. Fish Smith Professor in Public Choice at Utah State University. We'll also be talking with Daniel Gross, columnist with the Daily Beast. He says that these uh, budget cuts will disproportionately affect Republican or red states. And we'll have as our guest Professor Richard Davis from Brigham Young University. He says in a recent Deseret News column that while the sequester makes no sense, it is time to cut the deficit. We'll be asking you for your opinion, your concern, your prediction regarding the sequester as we go along. We begin with Senator Lyle Hilliard. We're talking with Senator Lyle Hilliard from Logan. He is Senate Budget Chairman, of course, well-placed to uh, uh, talk about the uh, latest projections which have come out. Uh, which I think are good projections. But uh, the complication we're talking about today, of course, is the federal sequester and how that might affect uh, uh, Utah's budget. Senator Hilliard, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Uh, So uh, tell me the the process that that usually go forward. Absent this sequester, I guess this would be pretty good news. It is, and it's still good news. It's not as much as we thought, but it's still a positive Normally, in November, the governor hires independent experts. The legislative staff hire independent experts. They meet separately and come up with with projections, and then they meet together and come up with consensus revenue figures. We do that every year. We did it this year, except when we came up with revenue projections the 1st of December, there were two unanswered questions. We assumed that the Bush tax cuts would all be extended, and as you know, they were not. And we also assumed sequestration would not occur. And they did kick the can down the road, but it's now coming up on March 1st. So based on that, we projected we had nine, or $300 million of ongoing revenue to spend in our budgets. We knew that when, when what happened on December 31st occurred, that those figures would not hold. We also knew it would be less than that. And so now we went through the budget process without really having figures to use, just to hopeful that we had a positive amount, asking the committees to rank priorities if there was extra money, if there wasn't, where they'd have to do some cuts. And that's what the committees have been doing. Then our committee, our, our same experts got together and negotiated uh, figures. And this time, they now, now knew what the Bush tax cuts were. They also now assumed the sequestration would occur. And so the question is, what will the sequestration do to tax revenue in the state of Utah? And so that came into the factor. They took in the sales, what had occurred at the end of December, and those figures that we normally have, and that's how we got our revenue estimates. The one thing that they pointed out is very clearly we have no idea of, of the psychological impact of the sequestration. And secondly, we did not plan any money to fill the holes that may be caused by the federal cuts. Now, we feel very fortunate. The best we can determine by the state revenues is we'll lose $39 million of federal money that's now geared for state programs, and most of those are pro- programs that, that we can get by without really funding. I mean, they're, they're bonuses. We're glad to have the money and spend it, but it, it's not life or death for us. The thing that's really concerning to us is a lot of the money goes directly to local governments, local school districts, uh, police enforcement people, 
those are the ones that may have some significant cuts. And, of course, they're not in our budget anyway. And so I suspect that some of them may come back to the state and want money may pay up for the loss. But as I've said, we spend all, we're going to spend all of our money on state programs, state needs. We're not going to have any money left over to plug in holes. So no money to plug in holes. Uh, and I guess maybe what, what sorts of programs would that? You say it's going to hit the local governments maybe harder. Right. I know at Utah State University and the other college presidents, there's a lot of research grant programs that may very well be cut. I suspect on a local level, uh, there may be mental health at the local schools. There may be security programs and stuff they've gotten federal dollars from. Uh, and, I, again, we haven't really tried to itemize them uh, to hear. We just alerted everyone to be prepared when the cuts come, uh, to be prepared to handle them. And we've been doing this for about a year uh, on the state level. We've had the, the governor's office looking at 5% and 25% cuts and how to handle those if, if they come. But the $39 million that we're going to lose on the state budget, you know, we're $13 billion. Uh, $39 uh, I'm sure it will be felt in some areas, but not enough that we plan on filling any holes. So s- some of that be f- be filled in, but you're saying you're you're, you're not planning on filling at all, right? Probably yeah. none of on the state level. The question would be what the locals come and what the locals want us to do. Oh, I see. As far as special ed and and police, uh, some of the police federal grants they have. What, what are some of the programs might be affected on the state level? You say you're not going to fill the holes on those. <laughs> I think there's $17 million of it that's going into transportation planning that they're using through the Wasatch Front area. And that's the main one that I'm aware of. I think they said there was $3 million involving in uh, special ed, no, and food lunch, which has over a $100 million budget. So it'd be like a 3% cut to those areas. And again, uh, we can tell you generally, but we can't tell you specifically. Uh, and I believe, as in most years, there's probably no appetite to raise additional revenue through taxes. There is none at all. Uh, so um, I, I, you'll stand pat with the num- with the money you have and and do the best you can. I guess is, is you that's, do well. that's exactly yeah. right. And I I think uh, the positive thing is that we're one of the few states that show positive revenue, and so we're uh, we're thankful for that. And I think people are prepared for for these changes and. We think that uh, with the money we're getting now that we'll be able to fund growth in public education and have some money for higher ed and corrections and some of those areas that uh, eating. Uh, obviously, I say even if we had three times as much money, would still be short so, of, of what the demands are. Hmm. So overall, uh, there is an increase in revenue, even with the uncertainty. Yep. Yes, yeah. there is. So, so good news on that front. Uh, I wonder if you talk a little bit more about this, this psychological impact. What, uh, how will that impact us, do you think? Well, see, you don't know, for example. One of the things talked about is maybe on the, on the federal level, there may be some cuts in the military and their impact kill field. And say, for example, if, if there were some employees that had a, a one-week furlough or something like that, the impact that may have on businesses who are saying, oh, my gosh, uh, people are not going to get paid for a week and, and how that impacts it. Those are the psychological things we have no real read. And, and, and it may have none at all. Uh, people may just move forward because actually when you look at the cuts, they're really very small compared to the tremendous amount of money that's coming from the federal government going being spent all over the, the, the huge deficits we're talking about. Uh, some of the state leaders, I think the governor's office is saying this. I wonder if you agree that uh, this uncertainty on the federal level is having a, a drag effect on Utah's economy. Absolutely. I think solving part of it was answering the tax, the taxes, the Bush tax cuts. I didn't agree with what they did, but having at least done takes that off the table. Now people can do some planning and see where the taxes are. But I think the whole thing uh, in Washington is such an uncertain thing that businesses are afraid to invest or afraid to, to do anything until they get some certainty. Uh, the governor saying education, public education, his top priority. I think uh, most legislators agree. Uh, to satisfy the, the current needs and the growth needs in public education, is that going to take most of the money, or there's going to be money left over in this increase to uh, to help with some of these uh, social services needs? Well, some of them we have to. We have no choice. There are federal mandates. While we have Medicaid, we're going to have to do that. And so I think the bulk of the money that always does go to public education will again this year. 
But uh, there will be money. We're going to have to leave money left over for the other areas that uh, have needs. Hmm. Yeah, never enough. Yeah, never enough. What are, what are you hearing? I, I'm I'm sure, and I've asked you this before, sitting on the budget committee, um, uh, it's it's got to be very hard. You you probably hear some heart-rending stories. It is, it is very difficult, and uh, you just wish you had more money. I've, I've said before, there are nights that I really have a hard time sleeping because I know of the needs and the requests out there. But I'll tell you, I come through this whole process with a great deal of respect for public employees, teachers, uh, DCFS workers, highway patrolmen. These people have all stepped up and carried greater loads and worked uh, even though we haven't been able to give them the salary increase that we would like to give them. And I think uh, Utah has a motive. They make things work, and, they, and we'll survive this and do well. I think the governor has a very positive attitude. I like that. And that's basically what we have to have as a positive attitude to go through. Senator Lyle Hilliard, uh, chairman of the Senate Budget Committee, has uh, been looking at the uh, state budget with us and the sequester. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye now. You're listening to Access Utah. We're talking about the federal sequester. This was supposed to be such a poison pill that it would motivate both sides, Democrats and Republicans, to come up with a budget compromise. It was kicked down the can, the, the can down the road uh, three months ago, and now we're, we're at it again. This time around, a growing number of politicians are saying, let it go into effect. Let's go for it. Uh, we're looking at effects in Utah. We talked there with Senator Lyle Hilliard. And uh, later in the program... Bill Shugart, who is J. Fish Smith Professor in Public Choice at USU, will look at economic effects in Utah and generally. We'll also be talking with Kevin Sullivan, retired Air Force Major General, on effects, possible effects at Hill Air Force Base and other military installations in Utah. Following a brief break, we're going to talk about this with Professor Richard Davis from Brigham Young University. He says in a recent Deseret News column that while the sequester makes no sense, it is time to cut the deficit. We'll also be joined by Daniel Gross, columnist with the Daily Beast. Uh, he says that red states will be taking a bigger hit than blue ones. Uh, we'll come back with uh, more on the federal sequester following this. By the way, the number is 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. We'd love to get your take on this, your prediction, your concerns and worries. Or perhaps you uh, feel that this should go through and you're, you're hoping for this. And uh, we'd love to have you uh, come on the air with us as a bit of an incentive. We do have a two-day pass to the upcoming Cache Valley Cowboy Rendezvous. That's happening at Mountain Crest High School in Hiram. It starts tomorrow and runs through Sunday. And the headliner is Bren Hill, who uh, is in concert on uh, Friday. Uh, tomorrow evening, 7 o'clock. So two-day pass to you for your call today at 1-800-826-1495. Back after this break. Support for Access Utah comes from the Utah Humanities Council, enriching cultural, intellectual, and civic life by providing opportunities for all Utahns to explore life's most engaging questions and the wonders of the human experience. In a New York Times article, Jose Antonio Vargas revealed that although he grew up, went to school, and built a career in the U.S., he's an undocumented immigrant. I'm Jim Fleming. Next time, on To the Best of Our Knowledge, why he says he's also a walking conversation. It's To the Best of Our Knowledge from PRI, Public Radio International. Sunday mornings at 9 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We're talking about the federal sequester, which is set to go into effect tomorrow. And this uh, potentially could mean $1.1 trillion in federal spending cuts, $85 billion of that to be cut from the current year's budget. And uh, there are worries all around. How will this affect Utah? That's what we're talking about on the program today. Some are saying that the uncertainty, even just the uncertainty, is having a drag on the state's economy and that this may well harm the national recovery from recession. Uh, later in the program, we'll talk about effects, possible effects at Hill Air Force Base with uh, Kevin Sullivan, retired Air Force Major General, and with Bill Shugart, who is a, an economics professor at Utah State University. Right now, we bring in Richard Davis, professor of political science at Brigham University and uh, Deseret News columnist. Professor, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you. And we bring in Daniel Gross, who is a columnist with the Daily Beast. Thank you. Very good to be here. Let's start with uh, Richard Davis. Uh, you say in your recent column that um, while you think the sequester is a very bad idea, 
that uh, we do need to uh, trim the deficit. First of all, on on, on that side, uh, sequester a bad idea. Why? I think it's a bad idea because of the way in which uh, they're cutting. I mean, this across-the-board cut doesn't really take into consideration uh, what what works and what doesn't work, uh, what ought to be retained. Um, it, it it was intended to be uh, so draconian that it never would come into effect, but. Um, it now is going to come into effect. Now, how long it will be in effect, I think, is a question. Uh, but the approach should not be just across the board. It really ought to there. There ought to be decisions made about what programs are working, uh, how much they ought to uh, be uh, retained, um, and how much ought to be spent on retaining them uh, if they are retained. And, and uh, really, none of that really takes place with this sequester. It's it's just. Uh, it's too much of a universal uh, a cut uh, rather than uh, a thoughtful, uh, more of a thoughtful deliberation on, on what, is, what is good and what isn't. And you say in your column uh, on the other side, predictions of disaster coming tomorrow should be taken with some degree of skepticism. I'm quoting you directly there. And uh, you cite uh, an experience you had with the Coast Guard. Yes, that's, uh, I, I was a civilian employee with the Coast Guard uh, at the Coast Guard Academy, and um, uh, they they knew how to get public support uh, when their budget was threatened. Uh, they're, uh, as I say in the column, they're not the only ones who know how to do this. I, I think some of what we're seeing now uh, falls in that category. Uh, they're 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 trying to uh, get get the public and policymakers to restore those cuts pretty quickly um, because they don't want them to happen. Uh, and my point is that just because we're hearing all these um, frightful stories about what's going to be cut doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be uh, cut, uh, that there's going to be that kind of damage. Uh, what I think happens initially, there will, but I think after, after a while, uh, after this becomes the new norm, then you're going to see uh, bureaucrats saying, well, you know, we don't really want to cut these programs because we believe in them. So let's see if we can find some way to cut without having to cut what is essential. So I, I see if, if indeed these cuts stay in place, I see that kind of uh, psychology uh, coming in uh, later on. Yeah, you tell the story that uh, they threatened cuts around the Martha's Vineyard area, which, of course, there are a lot of influential people there. Very clever of the Coast Guard in that case. Um, uh, let's turn to uh, Daniel Gross. Uh, I wonder on that point, before we get into uh, some of the things you were saying in your your column, The Daily Beast, um, it, it, I guess this is a game that uh, agencies would play. Do, do you think that it's, it's maybe crying a bit wolf here? Yeah, I think, you know, um a guy named Charlie Peters, who founded a magazine called The Washington Monthly, called it the fireman first principle, which is, you know, you tell a city they need to cut their budget, and they'll say, okay, hey, the first thing we're going to do is fire all our firemen. In other words, the the most loved and the most needed, uh, the most draconian, worst possible thing you can imagine, rather than saying hey, let's try to figure out how to cut our energy bill 10% or uh, reduce spending on supplies 10 percent. It, it's the the sort of the headline grabbing um, feature of government that is most loved and needed uh, that, you know, they announced they're cutting first. So I think that is, you know, that happens in cities, states, towns, and the federal government. I think that's the sort of natural, it's almost like an instinct of bureaucracy mm. as a self-defense mechanism. Uh, I want to talk a bit about what you said in your recent column in the Daily Beast. You're, you're saying that uh, you know liberals shouldn't be jumping up and down at what you say, but but uh, it seems to be the Republicans. This is me saying this. It seems to be more Republicans who are embracing this question, including uh, our own Orrin Hatch, uh, who recently uh, came out in favor. Let's go ahead. We need to make these cuts. You're saying that the, these cuts may well disproportionately hit uh, Republican-controlled states. Why? Absolutely, and this is a you know this is a very old story. When you look at all the reports that talk about um, which states send money to Washington and which states get more than they send back, of course, it's the poorer states, your Alabamas, Mississippis, Louisianas, which are, of course, represented overwhelmingly by Republicans in Washington. It's the agricultural states like Iowa and Kansas, which get a lot of agricultural subsidies. Um, and it's the plain states where you have uh, a lot of military and a lot of uh, federal land and you know, a state like Connecticut, where I live, 
we have a lot of uh, private enterprise and really high-paying private sector jobs and not much in the way of federal government installations. So if you cut back spending, it's not going to hurt the rich people in Fairfield County, Connecticut. Uh, by contrast, in, you know, in Utah, the federal government is the, is the single biggest employer. Um, so if you start cutting jobs and wages across the board, uh, it's the local businesses and the state that's that's going to suffer disproportionately. Um, I believe uh, you know, 18% of the jobs and uh, payroll jobs in Utah are for government. That's state, local, and federal. State like Connecticut or New York, it's 14 or 15 or 16%. So, many of these states who vote overwhelmingly Republican in the presidential election, as Utah did, uh, whose senators tend to be Republican and congressmen, um, they are the ones who are going to suffer disproportionately if uh, the, the flow of federal payments for wages, for subsidies, uh, uh, for employment, um, if those get cut back across the board. Let me turn back to uh, Richard Davis. By the way, we have a caller. We'll go to him next. But uh, Richard Davis, um, you, you're sort of in the middle on this, it seems like. You, you, you don't like the sequester. You think it's a bad idea. But on the other hand, you're saying we, we, need, to, we need to trim that deficit. It's getting to dangerous proportions. Yes, that's right. Uh, I mean, we're, we're just uh, way out of proportion with what we can afford as a country um, to have a, a um, you know, a budget deficit, uh, uh, which, by the way, we, we are heading in the right direction in terms of the size of the budget deficit, but that's, that's, be, that's because uh, we are beginning to come out of this recession. But we still have a $16.5 trillion debt that we're going to have to pay for, and at some point, you have to start uh, uh, figuring out how to pay that off. Uh, but first, you have to stop the, the deficit spending so that you can begin to pay that off. And, and, and uh, over the last 30 years, and, and, and I make the point that this, just, this is not an, Ob an Obama problem. It isn't something that's just related to this administration. It's been going on for 30 years. We've had massive budget deficits and. And uh, they just continued, regardless of whether it's a Republican or a Democrat in office. Uh, although I have to, you have to give uh, Bill Clinton credit. In the 1990s, uh, we actually did have a balanced budget for two years at the end of his presidency, and then um, and then that that turned around with George W. Bush and the Iraq War. Uh, we, we've we've just uh, way outspent. And what that means is that we're paying enormous amounts for interest. And I think that that, that kind of uh, payment ought to be going to social services for people. Uh, it, it ought to be going towards helping people uh, with programs in the future. And that, that's just, I mean, we're, uh, we can't do that when we're spending so much of our budget on interest payments to pay down, or not to pay down, to, to basically just pay interest on the amount of money that we borrowed in the past. If you uh, just joined us, we're talking about the uh, federal sequester, of course, due, set to go into effect tomorrow. May have a drag effect on the recovery nationally and uh, for Utah. May have dire consequences, some people are saying, with uh, military installations and a ripple effect. Uh, others are saying uh, maybe not so dire, but uh, we're wondering about the effect and talking about that on especially as it affects Utah. We're talking right now with Daniel Gross, columnist with the Daily Beast and with the BYU political science professor Richard Davis. You're welcome to join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. And we have a two-day pass to the Cache Valley Cowboy Rendezvous, which is happening Friday through Sunday. That's available to you for calling in, 1-800-826-1495. Let's go to our caller, uh, Charles, in Logan. Charles, glad you called. Go ahead. Isn't isn't there any concern that uh, a dramatic, abrupt contraction in the public sector while we're still recovering from a, a recession could put the economy into a tailspin and maybe another Great Depression? Uh, yes, Daniel Gross, I believe you addressed that in your column. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say a great – look, we have – people like to think, you know, the Europeans, they're doing all this austerity, and we're not doing that. We're just doing deficit spending. Our government sector uh, has been contracting the last couple years. We have lost 1 million public sector jobs uh, since 2010. We just had the uh, GDP report on how much the economy grew in the fourth quarter at BEA.gov, and it goes in and it, it, it tells you each sector, you know uh, – fixed investment, real estate, 
services, manufacturing. It tells you how much each sector contributed or detracted from growth. And in the fourth quarter, um, government spending, all government spending, fell 7% from the third quarter, and it subtracted 1.4 points from growth. In other words, the economy outside uh, the government sector grew at 1.5%, but when you take away the big contraction we had in the fourth quarter in government spending at state, local, and federal level, um, it only grew 0.1%. Um, and so it, it our austerity, and you know, that was largely due to a, a very sharp contraction in defense spending, which you're not going to see. But over the last couple of years, you know, in good times and bad, uh, during the recovery after the 2001 recession when uh, Bush was in office, for example, government spending continued to expand and government employment continued to expand. That has not happened this time around. And so it's been the case for the last couple of years that restraint in government spending at the state, local, uh, and federal level is and has been a drag on the economy. Um, and if we do more, then you will get a bigger drag. The other irony is that it, it, this is a column I did yesterday, which it, it's widely misunderstood. The deficit, the annual deficit, is in fact contracting rapidly. And it's contracting rapidly because more people are working. We have 2 million more jobs than we had a year ago. They're paying more taxes because of the payroll tax increase and the uh, tax on higher earners. And at the same time, we're spending a lot less money on things like unemployment benefits because the, the number of people receiving those has gone down by 25%. So just in the first four months of this fiscal year, that combination of higher uh, income tax receipts and lower spending on uh, unemployment benefits has produced exactly $85 billion in deficit reduction, which is what the sequester aims to do. We're looking at uh, the, the deficit was about $1.1 trillion uh, last year without the sequester. It's looking to be in the sort of 850, 900 range. It's still a lot, but that's a pretty substantial reduction, essentially by doing nothing. Um, so that you know, the, the, we we are getting deficit reduction, and I think the you know the the, the problem with the sequester is it's kind of adding on to it, not giving us that much incrementally, but doing it in a in a pretty stupid and blunt way. Mm. So. Uh, uh, Gradual contraction is one thing, but you, you don't see the sequester as a uh, more of a shock than a gradual contraction then? No, I, I, it will be a shock to some industries and some companies. If you are a government contractor, a defense contractor, or one of these big consulting firms, uh, and all of a sudden the power of you know your client to write a new contract declines by... 20%, that's going to be a big shock to you, and then we'll ripple through to your suppliers. Uh, when you take it on the economy as a whole, um, we're a $17 trillion economy. Uh, $85 billion is a quite small percentage of that. So I don't see it as a shock to the overall economy, but certainly to certain, certain sectors, individual companies, and geographic areas. Thank, uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate your call. The number is 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. We're talking about the federal sequester. And uh, we're uh, very soon going to bring in retired Air Force Major General Kevin Sullivan talking about uh, po possible effects on Hill Air Force Base. We'll also be bringing in uh, USU economics professor William Shugart. Right now we're talking with Daniel Gross, columnist with the Daily Beast, and BYU political science professor Richard Davis. And uh, as we go along, I'm, I'm not sure, Professor, uh, Mr. Dave, Mr. Gross, uh, you're welcome to stay with us through the, uh, the next half of the program, or if you have to go, then that, that's, that's fine as well. I'm here. Oh, oh, oh okay, great. Sure. Great. We, we appreciate that. Uh, we hadn't uh, scheduled it uh, that way, so I just wanted to, to, uh, to make sure. Uh, let me, before we bring in uh, General Sullivan, uh, we had this uh, question, the statement from a listener in Logan uh, via email. This is what he says. I would like to reiterate that there are no actual cuts. It's only the rate of the increase that's being scaled back. Everyone is still receiving more money. I wonder if uh, either of you would like to respond to that. Well, I, uh, Professor Davis, would you like to take that? No, no, go ahead. Okay. Well, look, the a lot of the so-called the the budget 
reduction that they that came about because of the Budget Control Act, which was last year, um, has to do with slowing the rate of growth rather than making absolute cuts. And that's why they say, you know, we're going to take $700 billion out of Medicare over 10 years. It's not that the absolute numbers are going down. It's that the the baseline projection had it, go, you know, growing by a certain percentage, and then they're going to cut that growth. So, you know, when I talk about austerity, federal uh, spending is actually up this so far this fiscal year by about two or three percent, whereas in previous years it was growing by maybe seven or eight percent. So a, a lot of what we talk about of so-called bus, uh, deficit reduction does have to do with slowing the rate of growth rather than cutting in absolute terms. But some components of the sequester, um, and again, because areas like Social Security uh, are set aside, you know, the, this $85 billion, it's about 2%, 2.3% of the federal total federal spending for this year, but it really only has to come out of a, a much smaller chunk of that, say 40 or 50%. Um, and then when you have certain fixed costs, like imagine you were told, you know, your how you have to cut uh, five percentage off your your household budget. Well, you can't really change your mortgage payment. You can't change your car payment. Um, you have these fixed costs for tuition or whatever, which means you have a pretty small area uh, to cut, and you may have to cut spending on going out to restaurants or uh, your kids. Uh, summer camp, whatever, by 20 or 30 percent uh, to get to those goals. And that's where some of the real reductions come in. So uh, the, the, the listener is right that a lot of the, the deficit reduction we've had uh, and that we talk about comes from simply dialing down the rate of growth in the future. Uh, but when it comes to the sequester, there will have to be some real um, reductions in this current year. We uh, have a couple of callers uh, backed up. I want to bring in Kevin Sullivan. Uh, perhaps uh, the callers can can address uh, some of the questions to, to him or our other guests. Uh, Kevin Sullivan is a retired Air Force Major General, uh, lives, I believe, in the uh, Davis County or Weber County area. Welcome to the program. Thank you. And we want to talk a bit about Hill Air Force Base and potential uh, cuts there, threats to uh, Hill Hill Air Force Base. So we appreciate you uh, you joining us. Also, uh, I believe you're on the uh, Board of Trustees for Weber State University. Uh, I, I am. And uh, so we may may talk about uh, maybe some concerns with the cuts to higher education. Uh, let's go to our next caller, Andy, in Cedar City. Uh, glad you called. Go ahead with your comment or question. Uh, yeah, um I, uh, I looked up uh, the actual, I, I voted for Bush uh, and uh, voted for him twice, actually. And uh, after the last election in 2008, I actually went back and looked up. At, uh, I was, um, I guess, out of, out of touch. Um, I didn't realize that he had spent so much in deficit spending. But I did look at, up uh, how much he actually spent on the Iraq war. And it was, uh, as I recall, something like $600 billion. Although he uh, overspent the budget over his eight years by about five tr- five trillion, uh, the U.S. brings in about two point five trillion in taxes, and um, I think he overspent that two point four trillion resource from the taxpayer by I don't know six hundred billion every year. But I keep hearing that the, his deficit was due to the Iraq War, which I think is inaccurate according to what I've seen. You know, if he only spent a trillion of the five trillion on the Iraq war, there's another four trillion or 80 percent that was that came about as other things. So it's a misnomer to keep mentioning, as I see it, blaming Bush for the for the Iraq war for the deficit spending when it only accounted for 20 percent. Am I right or wrong on that? I don't know if any of my guests want to weigh in on that. Well, I, I think uh, it's a simplification to say that the Iraq war is the sole reason. Uh, for large deficits. Um, and the Bush administration also passed and signed into law the Medicare prescription drug benefit. That's the Part D in, in I believe, 2006. And, of course, that was passed without a funding mechanism. It was basically this open-ended entitlement. It's costing $40, $50 billion a year, many hundreds of billions of dollars uh, in you know, obligated spending with no way to finance it. So that was something that adds to long-term deficits. And then, you know, we had big tax cuts in 2001 and 2003, which effectively reduced the amount of revenues the government got. Um, 
and that also, you know, when you when you cut your incoming revenues and you increase your outgoing revenues, you're going to be left with uh, structural deficits, yeah. and those things, um, you know, in 06 and 07, our deficits were relatively small because the, the markets were going great, the economy was growing rapidly, in part due to the housing bubble. So we were getting a fair amount of tax revenues, but when things fell off a cliff in 08 and 09. Our federal revenues in 2009 fell 16%. So the economy shrunk 3%, but the amount of cash that went uh, into tax payments fell 16%, which is a a huge hit to take. Um, So as much as we focus on spending, um, you know, the the revenues are also really uh, problematic. And and when you have a long and deep recession, uh, you get a very sharp reduction in uh, the amount of revenues we have. And we're still kind of trying to make up for that lost time. It sounded like, did let we me, have let, another comment? Let, yeah, let me explain I, to, I the, to the uh, caller that I'm, I would not make the, the point that the Iraq yeah. war... Yeah. Let, me, let me, is this, uh, is this uh, Professor Davis? It is, yeah. Okay, yeah, go ahead, yeah. and then, then we'll get, uh, get Andy to uh, have a final comment. Okay. Uh, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't suggesting that the Iraq war was the only reason for deficits during the period 2001 to 2009, the Bush presidency. But it, it, it was uh, a, a large factor in um, those budget deficits, and particularly since um, it was a war that uh, the United States, uh, in terms of self-defense, did not have to wage. And uh, that, that's unfortunately quite common. Uh, uh, of course, this is the most egregious example of uh, undertaking policy that's not necessary uh, and is costly and therefore raises budget deficits. Mm. Um, and, and we've seen that, again, over the past 30 years. Uh, we've seen it uh, on the part of Republican presidents and on the part of Democratic presidents. And uh, this just if this continues on, uh, we're, we're not going to be in a position as a country to afford the, the kinds of domestic programs that, uh, that, that people need. So that's that that so the the suggestion was not that was the only cause of the deficit. It was just I think the most egregious example of spending that that uh, really ultimately was not necessary in order to to uh, carry out the functions uh, of the U.S. government. Uh, Andy, did you have one uh, quick follow up comment? We need to get on to our next caller, yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to make um, there were uh, one of the I, I lost track of who was who there, but um, there was a comment minute ago about uh, you have to cut back, you can't cut back on your mortgage, you can't cut back on your car, you have to deal with the, the camp for the kids or whatever. And, you know, I know people that have gone through some difficult financial challenges and they have, you know, they have sold the house and moved into a smaller apartment. They have sold the expensive car and bought, you know, a used car that was substantially less. So, you know, I think the government, you know, if you're going to use that analogy, could do, take those measures, you know, provide less things, it's not going to be comfortable, but, you know, when you do have, uh, you know, difficult decisions to make and you have to make uh, serious cutbacks, you know, there are things that you can do, even though they may not be the most pleasant. Okay, thanks, Andy. Appreciate the call. Uh, and uh, appreciate uh, Kevin Sullivan's patience. We'll get to talking about Hill Air Force Base following uh, this uh, call. We appreciate Ted's call in Logan. Go ahead. Yeah, um, just to qualify, I was I was raised Air Force, and, and I did a stint myself, and I know there's been talk about it, and I know that he just, somebody just talked about the uh, the um, military budget being, being being cut back in that, but I know in the past they've talked about um, closing, you know, bases around the world that we're not using and that, and, and I know since our military has been become streamlined, why is it so impossible? And I know the defense budget is huge, and there's a lot of power involved and all that. But why can't we streamline? You know, we're using the drones. We have the the aircraft carriers and everything all over the world. Why can't we close some of the bases we're not using and really shrink the military to a point that we can, you know, deal with the terrorist threat and all that? And, and you know, like we're doing, um, you know, with with smaller units and that, and just make it not so ponderous. What, I, I don't understand, you know, I understand it's our obligation to police the world and all that because we are the most powerful country in history, but I don't understand why we're, we're so bloated in this day, you know, day and age. Why can't we 
you know, scale back, build America again, get us going, and then, you know, when we get to that point, when we're strong again, then be able to go out and police the world. I'm going to hang up so I can listen. So okay, thanks, I, Ted. I and it. this is a good question to uh, to put to uh, Kevin Sullivan, uh, retired general in the, uh, in the Air Force. Uh, I guess uh, my my first reaction to that to that question is that uh, you know the, the the federal government has a mechanism that they use to close military installations that's called the base realignment and closure process. Um, uh, the the guidance for that is enacted by statute uh, in statute by Congress, and that is the mechanism that's used to close bases. I think the Department of Defense has been pretty vocal over the past year and a half about the need to have another round or two of, uh, of BRAC and close some of the military installations that, uh, uh, that we may not need. You know, we've, we've drawn down force structure, we've drawn down people, uh, so it only makes sense to, uh, to draw down installations. So I agree with the caller, um, and I think you'll probably see within the next year uh, some congressional language that will, uh, that will dictate another round of two of base closure. Uh, but I would, I would, I'm guessing, don't want to put words in your mouth, that uh, you would say the sequester is probably not the mechanism to, to be doing uh, some of this cutting. Uh, well, certainly you wouldn't close bases relative to sequestration, mm. and, and I don't believe that, that sequester is the, uh, really the appropriate mechanism to, to, to implement the cuts that we'll see coming in the Department of Defense either. Uh, unfortunately, it's the, it's the mechanism that's in place right now. Okay, um, we will be uh, talking more about uh, Hill uh, Air Force Base and uh, and uh, General Sullivan's uh, possible concerns about that with with the sequester. We're also talking with Jan- Daniel Gross, columnist with the Daily Beast, and with uh, Professor Richard Davis from uh, Brigham Young University's in the Political Science Department. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we are going to bring into the conversation William Shugart, who is J. Fish Smith Professor of Public Choice at Utah State University, looking at some of the economic impacts here. Uh, that's following the break. On From the Top, we don't just put young people on the show to hear their incredible musical performances. We celebrate the whole kid. We're all members of the Vermont Astronomical Society, and uh, we've also gotten really into building telescopes. I run cross-country, and I run track. Well, I'll eat anything as long as it's not looking at me and as long as it's not moving around. I believe the correct term is math stud. Join me, Christopher O'Reilly, to meet America's most outstanding young musicians on From the Top each week from NPR. Friday afternoons at 2, repeated Sunday nights at 9 on Utah Public Radio. Did you know that of every 1,000 babies born in the United States, three will have hearing loss? Early identification and management is important for speech and language development. Amplification as well as speech and language treatment can start in the first weeks of life. Did You Know That is made possible by the USU Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services. More at cehs.usu.edu. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We have about 10 minutes left in the conversation. We're talking about the federal sequester. That was supposed to be such a poison pill that Democrats and Republicans alike would uh, run to embrace each other and compromise. It hasn't happened, and increasing a number of politicians are saying, let's let it happen. These are cross-the-board uh, cuts. And uh, there are some concerns that uh, furloughs and uh, other results from sequester would uh, seriously harm the economy. Um, and of uh, special concern is uh, the potential effect on Hill Air Force Base. We're talking with Daniel Gross, columnist with the Daily Beast. We also have with us BYU political science professor Richard Davis. On the phone, Kevin Sullivan, retired Air Force uh, Major General. We bring in now um, William Shugart, who is J. Fish Smith Professor in Public Choice at Utah State University. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome, Tom. Glad to be here. Before we bring in you on the economy, I wanted to uh, let uh, Kevin Sullivan uh, talk about uh, any worries that he might have about uh, possible security sequester cuts at, at Hill Field. Do you think that's coming, and, uh, and, and what, would that, uh, what would the effects be? Well, the, the, uh, the, the predominant effect, I think the effect that, that most people talk about and would be most felt within the state of Utah, uh, would have to do with furloughs. And, and I think that everybody has heard that uh, what they're talking about is uh, uh, 22 days of furlough over about a six-month period between probably mid-April and September. Uh, the, if, if all of the civilians uh, uh, had to participate in that furlough, the impact to the state of Utah would be in the neighborhood of $83 million. 
uh, I don't want to oversell that. My, my sense is that not every civilian on Hill Air Force Base would be subject to furlough. I think some would be, uh, would be exempted due to the, the duties they perform. But that would be the predominant, uh, I think, impact on the state would be the loss of that uh, $83 million or thereabouts in, uh, in uh, uh, salaries. What about uh, potential, uh, some speculation that you hear, and it's all speculation at this point, is that uh, some parts of the sequester might harm the military's ability to, to do their job. Do you worry about that? Well, I, I, think, I, think, that's, I think that's very real. I mean, for example, at, at Hill Air Force Base, where they do uh, a large amount of heavy maintenance on, on most of the fighter fleet in the Air Force, F-16s, F-22s, and A-10s, um, they're looking at deferring uh, work on somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 to 100 airplanes over the latter part of this year due to the sequester. Mm. Uh, so that's airplanes that, that, that need to have work done, that need to have modifications done, uh, that won't occur. Mm. Uh, there's also a discussion of cutting back on flying hours, uh, and of course flying hours is how we keep our air crews trained. Mm. And I think they're looking at in the neighborhood of an 18% cutback on flying hours for the remainder of the year. Mm. So a fairly significant impact in their area as well. We bring in William Shugart. Again, he's a J. Fish Smith professor in public choice at Utah State University. I believe you were an economist with the FTC, and you've, you've held many posts. Uh, yeah, I did work at the Federal Trade Commission yeah. for early in my career for about five years. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, there seems there's a debate going on, uh, and uh, I wondered, uh, have you weigh in on this, on the role of government spending in the economy? And possible drag effect. And uh, some people are predicting that if sequester goes into effect and this goes long term, it may well harm the recovery out of the recession. Well, uh, from my point of view, uh, spending is a problem uh, at the federal level. And it is spending that's a drag on the economy, primarily, uh, independent of how it's financed. Uh, we just have too, much, too, too many resources being sucked into the mall of uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, so the sequester, uh, in my mind, is a maybe a, a little baby step toward getting that spending under control. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to do it too fast, right? Well, or or, or would that be okay? Well, a, a phased in a, a, a slow, steady reduction in federal spending probably would be the best uh, approach because it would give people time to adjust. You have to remember that we've been through this before. In 1986, there was a sequester triggered by the Grab-Rudman-Hollings Act. Uh, the the so-called cuts were uh, slightly smaller than the ones that are being proposed or will go into effect starting tomorrow. Uh, but, you know, the after the, that sequester went into effect, the sun still came up the next day. Uh, uh, we managed to get through it uh, without any major uh, dislocations in, in, in economic activity. Uh, so I, I, I view the debate that's going on now as being a repeat of what happened in 1986 and uh, that there are a lot of scare tactics being employed by the administration and other supporters or opponents of, of, of budget cuts that are just disingenuous. Uh, it's like uh, a, a little boy saying, I'll starve if I don't have a second piece of pie for dessert. Federal spending has gone up by 30 percent uh, between 2007 and, and today. And I don't know anybody in the state of Utah or uh, any that's gotten a, a, a 30% raise over the last five or six years, nor any company that's had experienced a 30% increase in revenue over that same period. Uh, and, you know, despite all the scare tactics that are being uh, voiced, you know, only ha- half of the proposed cuts will go into effect this year. The rest are spread out over eight years. And as one of previous guests uh, uh, pointed out, uh, Correctly, uh, there are very few real cuts anywhere. We're Mm -hmm. just talking about uh, reducing the rate of growth of increase in in, in federal spending. Hmm. Daniel Gross, I I don't know if we can get a a little debate going here. I I don't know if you have a slightly different emphasis. It seems to be in your column that uh, you're a little more positive about the role of government spending and and, uh, possible drag on the economy on the negative side if, if, if sequester goes into effect. Well, look, I think, yeah, one of the points I was making is that 
why I, w- I kind of welcome this sequester is you have people who ordinarily would say government spending is a disaster, it crowds out private investment, it's something that inhibits growth, all of a sudden standing up and saying, but if you cut it now, we're going to throw all these people out of jobs and it'll be disastrous for our state. And, you know, to me, it's going to force an acknowledgement that while we can all point and find sort of wasteful spending or spending we don't like, um, in large measure, what we spend money on is stuff that people like and that our economy needs. Uh, You go talk to any hospital in Utah, um, they are getting a huge chunk of their revenues and could not keep their lights on without what they're getting from Medicare and Medicaid. Um, I believe Hill Air Force Base has a total of 26,000 employees and an annual payroll of $3 billion. So any store, uh, any realtor, any car dealer, um, their business is to a large degree dependent on the wages that those people receive. Uh, On top of that, you know, you look at the things the federal government operates, like our ports, our airports, road construction, Uh, Business really needs that in order to function, and so if you start laying off or saying we shouldn't be spending money on uh, employing air traffic controllers or investing in ports or improving them, um, you're going to hurt business. And so, you know, this debate about what the government should be doing, what it should be spending money on uh, is an important one. Um, But to me, the larger issue is we seem to like by and large, we seem to like the government spending we have, but we're just not willing to pay for it. And so I think there is as much work to be done on the revenue side as there is on the spending side. And we just Absolutely have, not. <laughs> we just have 30 seconds for your response, Professor. Well, I, we need to cut taxes. We need to restore the Bush tax cuts. How many uh, fewer dollars of, of spending has happened since January 1? because of the two percentage point increase in the payroll tax. It's put, uh, Walmart uh, has had a a bad performance in the the last month. Uh, And, uh, you know, if we get more resources into the private sector, uh, we can increase, grow the economy, as the, the saying goes. And the reason we have a sequester is because no one in Washington is willing to make choices as to what we spend on. And as far as the defense budget goes, there are plenty of weapon systems that are already known not to be uh, very promising that could be stopped. Uh, lots of other items that could be cut without uh, you know, c- c- having the cuts happen in, on, on the payroll side. We'll have to leave it there, and uh, this uh, debate, of course, will be ongoing at the federal level as well. Uh, William Shugart to Jay Fish Smith, professor in public choice at USU. Thanks so much for coming in. You're welcome, Tom. And uh, Kevin Sullivan, retired Air Force Major General, has been with us on the line. Thank you. Uh, Daniel Gross, columnist with Daily Beast. Thank you so much. And uh, BYU political science professor Richard Davis. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, coming up, don't forget, it's uh, the new gardening program with Brian Earle. That'll be coming up top of the hour. Join Sherry Quinn for Science Questions tomorrow in this hour. For Addison Pace and Danny Hayes, our producers, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening today.